Welcome to you, wherever you are at, whomever you are with. We are so very glad that you are here with us for these few moments together. I do want to take uh, a minute and mention uh, that one ad you saw earlier for the U version. If you haven't discovered the U version yet, it is an absolutely uh, wonderful resource. Uh, you can download it on your phone or any device. It has just about every translation of the Bible that you can imagine in uh, many, many different languages. But what I love about it is the, the, the number of reading plans. You can search just about any topic, money, sex, power, and whatever interests you, and you will find a reading plan that uh, takes you through some great content, looks at passages in the Bible that address that. And so if you haven't discovered that yet, uh, please do uh, look up the U version and get started reading that. Well, hey, we're uh, jumping into a new series this weekend. It's called Finding Your Family Fortune. And it's based on the idea that God has something great in store for all families. Uh, love this passage from one of the Old Testament prophets named Zephaniah. And uh, here's what he uh, says, speaking the heart of God. Uh, I will gather you. And at that time, I will bring you home, and I will give you honor and praise among all the peoples of the earth when I restore your fortunes before your very eyes, says the Lord. And this is just one of many texts where God uh, affirms that it's his will to uh, bring his goodness into the home lives of people who look to him. And so this series is about God working with people to bring his blessing, his goodness into their lives, into their homes, and into their families. Uh, Psalm 128 speaks of a family that is experiencing this kind of life from God. Uh, the psalmist says, you will eat the fruit of your labor. In other words, your, your work won't be fruitless. Uh, you will experience blessing and prosperity will be yours. Uh, then he begins to address the quality of their relationships. Your wife will be like a fruitful vine within your house. Your children will be like olive shoots around your table. Maybe you didn't see your kids that way, but he's basically saying they will flourish. Uh, yes, this will be the blessing for the man who fears the Lord. May you live to see your children's children and peace would be upon Israel, that you would experience all the goodness that God has uh, designated that families would experience. Well, maybe you're thinking as we read through these passages, that doesn't sound like my family. Uh, what about the rest of us? You know, there seems to be this divide between those who experience uh, health and wealth and blessing and prosperity and those who wish they could. Uh, what about families that have suffered brokenness or abuse? What about families who, who know toxicity? Uh, families where anger and hurt and pain are the backdrop for trying to do marriage and life together and parenting. Uh, Proverbs 24 uh, says this about families that flourish. By wisdom, a house is built. And by understanding, it is established. By knowledge, the rooms are filled with all kinds of precious and pleasant riches. Well, uh, we all know this, that homes and the rooms in those homes 
can be filled with a lot of things that aren't pleasant and are not precious. We all know that the rooms in a home can be filled with abuse and pain and heartache and emptiness and loneliness and stress and anxiety, just to name a few. I remember uh, when my wife and I had moved to Bellevue to start a new church uh, back in the 80s, and uh, we had come from kind of a rural setting, and all of a sudden we were kind of in upper-end Bellevue trying to plant a church, and one of the first families I was asked to go and visit in their home, uh, I was in the home about 10 minutes, and it struck me the contrast between what a big, beautiful, expensive home this was and how empty it felt and how much heartache was uh, coming out of the people who lived in that home. Uh, Well, this series is about how do we get on the better side of that equation? How do we get on that place where we really are uh, finding and discovering uh, our family fortune? And the, the, the kind of blessing that we've heard and read that is God's desire. Well, I want to say this right from the start. Regardless of where we have been, where we have come from, what our family history has been, uh, we can get on that path today of finding God's best for our families. And I, and I happen to be convinced of this. It begins with a seed thought. It begins with a very simple yet profound thought. And the thought is this, that God has something better for us than what we might have experienced. You could say it like this. uh, This is my definition of family faith. It's the belief, the confidence that God has something far better for you and for yours, for me and for mine, than we could ever manufacture on our own. God has something better than anything we could orchestrate or engineer on our own. And that God, and here's the important part of this statement, he not only has something better for us, but that God can be trusted to bring that about. God can be trusted. We can put our confidence and our hope in him to bring about those things that are good and abundant and blessing to to us and to those Uh, within our homes. Uh, You know, one of the great family figures in the Bible is uh, Abraham. In fact, songs have been made, Father Abraham, and many different expressions of faith and religions look to Abraham as one of their patriarchs, as one of those who brought the goodness of God down to earth and into a life experience. And it's uh, instructive to look at uh, Abram's, at the time he was known as Abram, uh, his family experience. We're told in the book of Genesis chapter 11 that Terah, his father, uh, took his son Abram, his grandson Lot, son of Haran, and his daughter-in-law Sarai, the wife of his son Abram. And together, now this is important, they set out from Ur, which in modern days is somewhere east of Turkey, They set out from Ur of the Chaldeans to go to Canaan. That was their plan, to go to Canaan, the promised land. But when they came to Haran, they settled there. And then this interesting fact, uh, Terah lived 205 years, and he died in Haran. So uh, they settled there, camped out overnight for about 135 years. 
And uh, you might say that Abram's family was stuck or at least detoured uh, for well over a hundred years. And that after uh, his dad passed away, we're told this in Genesis chapter 12. The Lord spoke to Abram. And uh, it's important if you're reading through Genesis, this is the first time God verbally communicates to a person uh, for what appears to be at least a couple thousand years. And the Lord spoke to Abraham, and he said, Go from the country, uh, go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. In other words, God is saying to Abram, Leave the place where you've been and go somewhere else. I've got something different in store for you. Uh, well, last weekend was Easter, and I hope that you had a, a great and wonderful and blessed weekend. I know uh, me and my extended family, our grown kids and their spouses, uh, we all had the privilege of being able to be together for the first time in a long time. And uh, by really some miraculous circumstances, all of us have been vaccinated and uh, we figured it was time to come out of our caves and uh, reconnect with each other. Uh, and so um, we're sitting around the table visiting and uh, my daughter-in-law asked me, uh, so uh, what's going on at the church? And uh, in the midst of describing uh, some of the great things that are happening with our people, uh, I said, uh, we're beginning a new series uh, this coming weekend and uh, trying to explain it in a way that made sense to her. I said, uh, you know, it's all about how God moves families to a place where they experience his goodness in such a way that they become a blessing to the world. And uh, her immediate reaction to that when I asked, uh, when I said, it's about finding out how you get to that place uh, her reaction was, you have to make a break. And uh, as she described her answer, uh, she said, you have to, at some point, you have to make a break from where you've come from and where you're going. And uh, she referenced the 12 apostles whom Jesus called, who left everything to follow him and began something entirely new. And, uh, you know, I think that her comment was incredibly insightful. We all know that good things come from our family of origin, and uh, we're grateful for those things. But we also know a lot of baggage comes uh, from our families of origins. A lot of stuff we never bargained for uh, comes along with where we've come from. And uh, if we are ever going to open up to that greater thing that God has in store for us, at some point we need to make a break. We need to realize that uh, I am not where I've come from. I am more about where God is taking me. Uh, we all have one common uh, family of origin, and those parents are known as Adam and Eve. And it's interesting, one author made the observation that if you look back to our original family of origin, that they emerged from the garden with three fundamental fears that damage and destroy the potential in all of our families, in all of our relationships. And they identified, uh, this author identified those three fundamental fears that are toxic to healthy relationships as these three things. My fear of exposure, 
makes me distant from others. Uh, you know, Adam and Eve suddenly realized that they were naked and they were very ashamed, and their fear of exposure caused them to cover up and distant and begin to blame one another and uh, how that carries on from generation to generation. My fear of disapproval makes me defensive where uh, right away when God noticed what had transpired and began to ask them about it, the blame game started and they they started uh, defending themselves and blaming each other. And then finally, my fear of losing control makes me demanding of others. And it's interesting to think how those three uh, big baggages alone uh, can weigh us down in our new experience of family and family relationships. Well, God calls Abraham to leave what was familiar, 135 years familiar, and to go forward in his life. And not only to leave, but to open up to something entirely different. And here's how God describes that. Genesis 11, verses 2 through 4. Genesis 12. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing to others. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And this amazing, uh, mind-blowing thought, all people on earth will be blessed through you. Now, this is an incredible, uh, had-to-be mind-bending promise that Abram receives from God. But I happen to believe it's always been God's intention to bless the world through healthy relationships. And that begins in our relationship with God and extends to those closest to us and then outward. And that's what Abram hears from God. And notice uh, how many I statements. I will make you. I will make your name great. I will bless those. And I will uh, bring uh, all of these good things through you. See, that's what God does. Uh, God, that's his disposition. Always has been, always will be. But what do we do? How do we opt into that, especially if we've come from very complicated or toxic or broken family histories? Well, we do what Abraham did. Uh, We're told, uh, so Abraham went as the Lord told him. Just hear those words again. Abraham went He left everything that was familiar. He made the break, and he went as the Lord told him. And I think the important thing about stepping forward, finding our family's fortune, it begins right where you're at. God doesn't ask us to pretend to be somewhere other than where we are, and I think this is critically important information that for families that may be uncomfortable with spirituality. Uh, Maybe they've never sat around and talked about God or Jesus with their, with each other or with their children or around the table to pray. Uh, Wherever you happen to be at, that is the place where you can start going in the direction that God calls you to go. Uh, You know, um, I happen to believe very strongly that uh, God moves towards people who may be moving away from him. Uh, Hear that again. God moves toward people who may be moving away from him. 
And, and God certainly comes to people who may not be thinking about how much they desperately need his power and his work in their lives. I love Psalm 81. It, uh, the psalmist reflects on when the, the Hebrew people first began to experience God working on their behalf. And listen to the language the psalmist used to describe that. Uh, Psalm 81 verse 5, the psalmist says, I heard an unknown voice. Uh, this is how he refers to God beginning to act into uh, their lives. I heard an unknown voice. And here's what it said. Now I will take the load from your shoulders. I'm going to help you. I'm going to relieve your burdens. I will free your hands from their heavy tasks. You cried to me when you were in trouble, and I saved you. And uh, see, for the psalmist, this is where it began. This is where that journey towards uh, finding their family fortune began, is realizing that when they cried out to God, God was there. And he was more than willing to help them. Uh, many of you know that I grew up in a family that was void of faith. And uh, I didn't have a history of calling upon God and experiencing him. But uh, one uh, year when I was about 20 years old, I was in a pretty uh, major ski accident. And uh, when I hit the ground after smashing into someone uh, coming out of the trees, uh, I was sure that I broke my back, my whole backside went numb. I couldn't move. And, and I remember laying in that deep powder snow. And uh, for the, probably the first time in my life, I said, God, help me. God. And there was a sincere cry that came from my heart. God, help me. And instantaneously, I began to feel this warmth uh, flood through my back. And uh, my muscles began to relax. And Within a few moments, I sat up and stood up and realized that I was well. Well, I knew that the God I didn't know had done something for me. In a sense, he had lifted my burden. And uh, that began uh, the wheels turning in me, uh, of me turning my heart toward God. And, and here's an important uh, observation we all have experiences where we call out to God, and God comes through for us. And uh, let me just say, if that's where it ends, that is really sad, because those experiences are meant to be the beginning. They're meant to be the beginning of a, of a revelation where we realize that God is really there, and he is really for us, and he really wants to do good things in our lives. See, I think we all have all had those times where we say, God, let me not be sick. You know, let this not be cancer. Or uh, maybe we get pulled over and God, just let me get a warning, but not a ticket. And uh, God, maybe your marriage is on the brink and you cry out to God, say, God, uh, help this not end in divorce. And if you'll change her heart or his heart, I guarantee I'll start, I'll start loving her better. I may even start going to church, you know, and, and those are good prayers when we experience God come through for us and they lead somewhere deeper into our response to him. Uh, but if they lead nowhere, uh, that is truly sad because we will never experience the blessing 
that God intends for our lives and our relationships and our homes and through our homes to the world will never experience those until we begin to develop that trust that God not only has something better in mind for me and mine, but he can be trusted to bring that about. You know, uh, here's, here's a, a truth that I've come to accept over the years. Trust in God either develops over time or it doesn't. See, either life's experiences where we reach to him, we turn to him. As Jesus said, those who seek, find. Those who knock, the door will be open to them. And so over time, we either begin to really depend on God and trust him for everything, or we don't, and we keep him at arm's distance. You know, there's a, a wonderful passage in the New Testament where the Apostle Paul, he, he prays for these followers of Christ that that kind of trust, that kind of openness uh, to experience and to go where God is leading, he prays that that will be worked out in all the nitty-gritty details of life. Here's how he prays it in 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 23. Paul says, May God himself, the God of peace, which is uh, the God of all abundance and well-being, who is the only one who can bring that into our lives, may God himself sanctify you through and through. Uh, may your whole spirit, may your whole soul, which is your whole realm of emotions and your inner world, may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless until the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, the one who calls you is faithful, and he will do it. What is Paul praying for? He's praying that uh, our trust factor, our openness to God leading and working with us will be so real and genuine and receptive that God will be able to retool us, refurbish us, restore us at every part of our being, spiritually, emotionally, in our soul, in our physical bodies. It's just a, a prayer for a deep renewal that only God can work. You know, that word sanctify, it's a religious sounding word, but it, it actually means this, uh, to purify internally by renewing the soul. So it's this deep sense of renewing uh, the hurts and the brokenness and the pain and the fears and the baggage that we bring into our pursuit of God and only he can lead us out of and away from those things. You know, uh, I don't consider myself a binge watcher, and uh, I don't think I have the patience to truly get into really long uh, TV or uh, movie series uh, to see them through. But uh, I certainly came to appreciate those who are binge watchers uh, over this last year of, of trying to get through the pandemic isolating at home and uh, my wife and I discovered a series that actually ran for 14 years uh, we discovered it on Netflix and uh, it's a it's a show that's set on a horse ranch in uh, Montana what's not to like about that and uh, a, a young man a boy with a derelict dad he's got problems with the law uh, he meets a, a young woman a teenage woman who um, 
whose mother died in a tragic car accident. And as you might expect, uh, they have deep issues uh, to try and work out with each other on the way to having this good and healthy relationship. And uh, over 14 years of shooting this show, uh, the characters take on a life of their own. And uh, just in, in the last year, the lead male figure, who uh, uh, acts out a character named Ty, decided it was time in his life to leave the show. And so he's trying to explain his decision to his devastated fans of why they had to kill him off uh, just when his family was getting going and uh, people had really attached to these characters. And I, I thought some of the things he said in this interview were really instructive. Uh, I'll read them to you. Um, he says that uh, the character he played uh, had actually finished his work. Not that he was perfect, but that he had worked through his stuff to the point that he was now able to bring good into the world. Hear that again. Uh, the character had finished his work in, in this actor's mind, uh, and he had worked through his stuff. Uh, he had been renewed at his soul level uh, to the point that he was now able to bring good into the world. And the, uh, the actor goes on to describe, he says, you know, that's what life is about. It's about trusting and having faith and moving forward. And uh, the question was asked, did I do the character justice over these past 14 years? His answer was yes, because of the healing and the spiritual growth the character has gone through and the progression uh, he made through his life to heal his inner world. Uh, uh, he goes on. He says, that is what we are here in this world to do, uh, to expand and to grow spiritually, to heal those inner wounds within us that we have pushed away or hidden or didn't think could be healed. And uh, he says, I don't think the character wanted to die or was ready to die, but I do feel like this, like he made those big steps, that spiritual growth, that healing in this life that I believe is what he came to do, to experience that growth and to touch others the way that he did. Well, uh, in a nutshell, that is exactly what this series about is about. It's how God, in the context of our homes, in our families, invites us uh, to leave uh, whatever good, whatever wreckage was in the past, to make the break and to begin to believe that God has something far better in store for us if we, if we will trust him enough to let him lead us into that. And uh, as Paul prays that we will allow God to sanctify us, uh, body, soul, mind, and spirit, uh, so that we can uh, be those conduits of his goodness into the world. Well, how do we begin? Where do we begin uh, personally that journey? Well, I would say this, wherever you're at, it starts with the person of Jesus Christ. And the reason I say that is uh, in one other letter, Paul says about Jesus, all of the promises of God are yes and amen in him. That any promise God has ever made any revelation of his, his generous heart toward people and his desire to lead them out of brokenness uh, 
away from burdens and into his blessing, all of those are yes in the person of Jesus Christ. In the New Testament, Jesus is referred to as the master builder of the house. Uh, the master builder of the house. Uh, Paul says he is the one who begins a good work in us, and he is also faithful to bring it to completion. Uh, yeah, I love this psalm that speaks of God's willingness to work on the behalf of our homes and our family. Psalm 127, verse 1 and 2 Unless the Lord builds the house, the builders labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the guards stand watch in vain. It's in vain that you rise up early and stay up late. Anyone here do that? It's in vain that you rise up early and stay up late, toiling for food to eat, for God grants sleep or rest to those he loves. See, uh, putting that kind of trust in Jesus Christ, of knowing that he wants to build the house of our lives. He wants to oversee and stand guard over our coming and our going. Uh, you know, every marriage ceremony that I officiate, I always begin by referencing the first miracle of Jesus, at least according to John's gospel, and it's where Jesus turned water into wine. And what I always, always say about that is that in turning water into wine, Jesus forever makes the declaration that he is able to take the common things of our lives and make them extraordinary. He always is the same. And it's his disposition to take what we offer to him. Wherever uh, we happen to be at, he'll take the common things and make them extraordinary. Before we uh, have a prayer together, uh, I want you to look at this photo. Uh, this is a woman uh, named Edith Egger, and uh, she's the one sitting on the chair holding the two babies. And I, I might uh, reference that she is not only Edith Egger, she is Dr. Edith Egger. She's a doctor of psychology a graduate uh, from the University of Texas, and uh, she's 94 years old now. But when Edith was 16, she stood in a line with her parents in the Auschwitz death camp. And uh, she remembers and recounts very vividly when uh, the German guard uh, was uh, deciding uh, all those under the age of 14 or over the age of 40 would go left in this line, and all those in between would go right. Edith at the time was 16, as I mentioned, but her, her parents had to go left, and she had to go right. And uh, when she asked the guard about where her parents were going, she recalls the guard looking at her with stony eyes, and saying they're just going to have a shower. They're going to take a shower. When in fact, uh, they were going to be gassed and exterminated in the furnaces. And uh, Edith would never see her parents again. And she uh, goes on to recount uh, the, just the nightmare that the next few years held for her. But uh, Edith miraculously survived uh, that death camp and uh, went on uh, to develop quite a life 
for herself. As you can see in this picture, the generations that came uh, through her marriage and uh, their children and their children's children. Uh, but I was struck by one of Edith's life mottos that she declared in this interview. She said, you know, I never ask, why did this happen? Or why me? But I always ask, what now and what is next? I think that's profound for someone who has endured that kind of suffering and brokenness. I never ask, why me and why this? But I always ask, what now and what is next? I want to invite you to say a prayer with me. And, uh, you know, this journey of fullness that God wants for all of our relationships, whatever your family configuration is, you may be, uh, have a, a house of your own with no one else in it. Uh, maybe you're divorced and remarried. Maybe you're a single parent. Maybe you're living in incredible abuse at this time. But uh, here's the truth. Uh, the beginning of change happens when we invite the changeless one into our lives. And maybe it, it feels like Abram, that no one has heard from God in quite a long time. Uh, but he would speak to you right now and say, you're uh, finding your uh, fortune in your family uh, begins with your response to Jesus Christ. That he indeed uh, is the one who, in whom all the promises of God are yes and amen. And, and uh, right now I would in invite you and challenge you to take that step of opening up to Jesus Christ and letting him uh, begin to lead you to places you've never been before, perhaps could not even imagine. And uh, like any journey, it begins with a single step of saying, Jesus, I need you. In fact, I trust you to do things in me I never could do by myself. And if that expresses your heart, I'm gonna ask you to do something right where you're at whomever you are with, just raise your hand and say, Jesus, I, I like what I've heard about you and I believe it. And I wanna begin to follow where you're going. I, I believe that you're gonna take me to places I could only hope for and dream of. Uh, but I know it begins by opening, by receiving what you've done for me. And so I would lead you in this prayer right now. Jesus, thank you for being the fulfillment of every promise that God ever made. And thank you that because of you, because of your work, I can be assured that God, God's blessing uh, is reaching to me, uh, is welcoming me to step in to this journey of healing and wholeness. And so I ask for your forgiveness. I ask for what you've done on the cross to be applied to my life. Help me be, come, a follower of you from this day forward. And I thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Now I want to pray for all of us, uh, wherever we're at in our family experience. God, thank you that it's always been your intention to pour your goodness out through people. And, and I realize that, that that really comes down to the quality of our relationships. And so God, uh, first and foremost, I ask that this day would mark something new in my relationship with you, uh, that I would uh, hear your voice or at least sense your presence, that I would know that it's your desire 
to bring your wholeness and your fullness into my home, into my experience of family. And whatever that means for you, uh, that today would mark a, a break from where you've been and a, and a new sense of hope for where God is taking you. And uh, Father, we just pray that uh, this week your Holy Spirit would be very, very active in us. Uh, maybe it'll come when we least expect it. Uh, maybe it'll come when we're having a conversation with our spouse and we'll realize that you're doing something entirely new in that relationship. And it, maybe, God, it will come when our kids are going sideways and uh, we don't feel like our parenting is happening as it should be. And you'll speak to us. You'll begin to show us things that, that need to be retooled in our own person, that inner work that only you can help us through. And we would just acknowledge today, God, that you are faithful and that you will complete the good work you've begun in each one of us as we put our trust in you. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.